Well, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we are going to be in verses 10 through 12 today. Just a short passage, which does not always equate to short sermon, but it's the way it goes. Have you ever been in a difficult situation and just thought, why me? Or, or maybe it's one situation after another, after another, after another. And after a while, you just think, why? Why, why me? You start feeling like everything bad just happens to you. Like you can't catch a break. You, you can't get over that, that hump that's in front of you. Why me? Why do I have to struggle? Why do the bad things happen to me? And I hope that you can hear from some of the chuckles and maybe the nodding of, of heads, you're definitely not alone, right? The why me is not I'm the only one in the world that struggles. I hope we can realize we all struggle. And we looked at Lamentations last week to sort of put a text or a language to our suffering. And that's what Lamentations does. It's hard. It's not to sugarcoat it. It's not to just gloss over it and say, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm a Christian. If you're a Christian, that's a great hope. But that doesn't do away with all the suffering and the struggles. And we tried to look at that last week. There is a place to cry out to God, even to say, God, why? Why are you doing this? But Lamentations briefly points to hope. It's not really the point of Lamentations to bring hope. It's more about just dealing with the struggle. But I wanted to put it into our series on 1 Peter because Peter talks about this suffering that the people in Peter's day were going through. And we've equated some of that with what we're going through today. There wasn't this widespread persecution. It's not like the whole world had turned against them. But they were beginning to feel that struggle that what we believe and what those people out there believe is, is beginning to be felt more and more incompatible and there's a struggle, and there's a suspicion by the society. They were beginning to look at the Christians as, hmm, we thought that was okay for a while, but now, now we're not so okay with it anymore. And I don't know if you've felt that in your personal life. Jobs, dealing with your neighbors, changes and laws. But I think as Christians, we are dealing with this more and more. And I don't want to be pessimistic. I want to be realistic. I do think it's going to get worse. And that's okay. Because God is God and we are not. And he is in control. And so the book of First Peter is written to people just like us in this situation saying, if this is true, if there's a struggle happening, if it's going to get worse, what do we do? How do we deal with this? Do we just throw our hands up and say, oh, I don't know what to do? Do we go on Facebook and type nasty comments? Do we just put our heads down and, you know, try to not look at the world around us? Do we just give in and change everything we believe? And no, as we've looked at through 1 Peter, we hold on to the gospel, the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ. But I think as we go through difficult times, Especially if you're being or, or feeling like you're being persecuted for your faith. And you have that idea of, why me? Why do I have to endure this? I think we can begin to downward spiral and wallow in that feeling. Why me? Why does everything have to happen to me? Today, through the passage in First Peter, I want us to ask that same question, but about something else. 
because we can get so hung up on the struggle and the suffering and why me and forget how blessed we are through Jesus Christ. And we should ask there as well, why me? Why do I get to live during a time that I know how God provides salvation? Why did I get to grow up in a church where my parents shared the gospel with me? Why did you, at some point, I assume if you're here today, you have heard, why did somebody share the gospel with you? Why are you saved? Why you? What a privilege we have in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to jump into the middle. It ends up being the middle of the passage. We sort of jumped out of it for a while. We're jumping back into it. And in order to understand what we're looking at today, we need to look at the context. So I want to read. It's not a long passage. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 to put the text that we're looking at today into context. So you can follow along with me. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And here's our text for today. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. We're going to go through this passage twice. Sometimes I go phrase by phrase, verse by verse. We'll do a little bit of that. But I want to go through it twice, looking at two different themes that Peter kind of weaves into this passage. One theme is our our privileged position in history, to understand how blessed we are to live now, even though this world, and, and we like to complain, it's messed up, but to be able to look at how God has blessed us. The things we know now, this side of the cross, compared to people from the Old Testament. So that's one thing, our privileged position in history, and then a better perspective on suffering. Because throughout this, and especially the way this passage relates to the context, to understand what Peter is saying, hold this perspective in mind as you go through these difficult times. We need a better perspective on suffering. So let's start by looking at our privileged position in history. Now, I want to be very 
clear what I mean by privileged position. This word privilege gets thrown around a lot in our culture. I'm not saying that we are better than them, okay? We are all sinners. We are all fallen. But what Peter is pointing out in this passage is that to live on this side of the cross, to know the things that in the Old Testament they were looking forward to and didn't know how it would happen, is an incredible privilege. And we should be grateful for that. So let's look at what this privilege is. He starts off in verse 10. He says, concerning this salvation, that's why I wanted to read the passage before it, because that's where Peter talks about the salvation. He says in verse 3, we've been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter says, hold on to that. There's the gospel. Don't let go of that. He said, think about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that God has sent his son, to die on the cross in our place. We deserve death through our sins and because of our sins. He took the punishment for our sin upon himself on the cross, died in our place. The Bible says he gives us his righteousness and then he rose from the dead promising eternal life to all who believe. So when Peter says concerning this salvation, we have to bring all of that in and go, wow, what a salvation we have through Jesus Christ. So it's that message of salvation being proclaimed, written about by Peter to Christians like us that are struggling, have a lot of questions. What's going on, God? How's this all going to work out? And he says, hold on to the salvation you have in Jesus Christ. And now he's going to give an even greater context. He says, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. What does that mean that the prophets searched intently? They were commissioned by God to bring a message to God's people who also were struggling, whose world was falling apart around them in many cases. And yet they spoke a message of hope, this grace that was to come. God was going to deliver them. Now, certainly these prophets spoke this message of hope to these people in their time, whether it was Isaiah or Jeremiah, or you can go back further. These messages were given to the people in their time to bring them hope in their time. But you can weave and and look throughout all of the Old Testament prophecies and understand they're all part of a greater story of God saving his people through his son. So there is a way in which every prophecy points forward to Jesus Christ. And Peter is picking up on this and saying, when they prophesied the hope that was to come, the salvation that was to come, the redemption that was to come, they didn't know it then, but we know it now. They were looking forward to Jesus Christ. They searched intently and with greatest care. I feel like that's such an understatement. Again, I'm not sure we can fully appreciate how hard some of these settings were. We looked at Lamentations last week, and, and I got done, and my, you know, my wife, she's such an encouragement, um, but, but she said, you know, how did you feel it went? And I said, awful, which is usually how I feel after a sermon, to be very honest with you, because, I mean, it's the very word of God, and I'm just me. But this one in particular, I just thought, how can I give you the depth of the suffering that was going on in Jerusalem? when Lamentations was written. Bodies laying in the street. 
We didn't even look at the passages that talked about mothers eating their own children. Yeah. So, again, if you're going to understand, this is how horrible things were in Jerusalem. There's, now, some of you weren't here last week, like, wait, what in the world? So, so Jerusalem, right, they're under siege for 18 months. The Babylonian army is encamped around them. There's no food or water going in and out of the city. Hezekiah's tunnel was running. There would have been a little bit of water for some people. But they're starving. They're literally starving in the streets for 18 months. It's a horrible, horrible situation. And in that setting and around that time, you have Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they're giving these prophecies. Turn back to the Lord, trust in him. But then they're also giving hope. God's going to do something. He's going to save you. He's going to redeem you. Now, put yourself in that place. You're Isaiah, you're Jeremiah. And in that time, in that moment, can you imagine what it means to search intently for how that's going to work out? The army is right there. Your wall's about to fall. You're literally walking through the streets, seeing dead bodies, women, children, infants, soldiers. And you're going, God, when? When are you going to do this? You bet they searched intently and with greatest care. And I'm sure they were crying out, how, God? When, God? When is this going to happen? Verse 11, Peter says, they were trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Such an interesting choice of words. The Spirit of Christ in them. Peter's saying all the way back into what for us is the ancient history of the Old Testament, even for them it was pretty ancient at that time. All the way back then, the Spirit Christ was at work. The message of Christ was beginning to be spoken. Salvation is coming. God is going to save his people. But how? They were trying to find out the time and circumstances. Some translations you might have, if you have the ESV, it says what person or time. It's really just a phrase that kind of means who, what, when, where, why, how. How is this all going to work out, God? Throughout all the Old Testament, there is this longing, this looking forward to how God is going to fix this messed up world full of sinful people just like us. You know, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.15, God says to Eve, an offspring of yours, a descendant of yours, is going to crush the head of the serpent. Well, how? When? Who? Who? And that question lingers throughout the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, it's going to bless Abraham. And through Abraham, all the nations, all the peoples of the world, that's us, are going to be blessed. How? When? Who? You get to the law and the tabernacle. God says, I am holy. This is my law to you. I am perfectly holy. Be holy as I am holy. And then he gives them the tabernacle, this way to maintain a relationship with him. But there's this ongoing struggle. Every sacrifice points to the fact that it's never enough. It will have to be done again and again and again. And it raises the question, will anything ever come to do away with our sin forever? How? When? Who? Throughout the latter part of the Old Testament, their people struggle. 
They're prone to idolatry. They're prone to giving up on God, forgetting God. They just act as if he doesn't exist. Maybe we can identify with that today, even in our own lives at times. God disciplines them, brings in foreign armies, saying, turn to me and I will bless you. But if you don't, I'm going to allow you to go into exile. Prophets like Isaiah and Habakkuk cry out, how long, O Lord? And things get really, really dark for God's people. But then in Isaiah chapter 9, God tells Isaiah, the prophet, to declare, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Do you hear it there? There's the prophecy. God's going to do something about all this. He is going to send this child, this king, this savior, this Messiah. And I could see the person in the back of the class going, How? When? When's this going to happen? Because right now, and, and I'll tell you, Isaiah 9 was written shortly, shortly before the events of Lamentations. It's that context. The world is falling apart. Literally, for them, completely falling apart. Jeremiah declares in chapter 31, verses 31 to 33, that was probably written during the siege of Jerusalem. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God says, I'm not putting rules on a tablet. I'm not posting them up on a wall somewhere. I'm going to take my character, my nature, and I'm going to etch it on their hearts. They will want to live for me. They will want to obey me. It's going to change our heart. How? When? Who? All of these prophecies, every single one, finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. God's ultimate deliverance for us. It is in Jesus Christ that our hearts are changed. That we are made new creations. Longing to, wanting to, desiring to, as we're changed from the inside out, as the the Holy Spirit does work in us, we want to obey Him. That's a mark of a Christian. The Messiah would come the ultimate king of not only the Old Testament nation of Israel, but all of us. The king is coming. But how? When? Who? In verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says they were trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. How? 
You see, they wanted this conquering Messiah to just waltz in and make everything right. Overthrow the foreign armies. Reestablish them in the land. Bring them health and wealth and prosperity and everything would be great. But Jesus didn't come as this brilliant conquering king. He came as our suffering Messiah. Because sin had to be dealt with. But then he says, the glories that would follow. You see, suffering is not the ultimate plan that God has for his people. Yes, there may be times, times of discipline, times of hardship, but just as Christ went through suffering on the cross, then there was the glory of the resurrection. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father forevermore. And that's the glory that awaits us through Jesus Christ. This is a pattern of salvation. Suffering, present struggles, and then glory. There's an encouragement of the gospel as we go through difficult times. You see, in the Old Testament, they knew this to a degree. It's one thing, though, for a prophet, preacher, pastor, however you want to look at that, to declare something and say, look, this is the way it is. Okay. It's another thing to say, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, confirmed by his teaching, by his miracles, died on the cross in our place. And that's, that's a great story right there. Like, okay, well, you could kind of take or leave that. Maybe he was special. Maybe he wasn't. But then he rose from the dead. And that blows all doubt out of the water. He is who he says he is. And then Peter says, the prophets were looking forward to these things that we now see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In verse 12, it says, the prophets were not serving themselves, but they were serving us. Think about that. When you talk about privilege, here these people are struggling and suffering and, and Jeremiah and Isaiah, and they're bringing hope. And yes, they were serving the people. He's not saying they weren't serving them at all, but he said there's a greater narrative going on. And Peter can say to his recipients a couple hundred years ago, the prophets were serving you through this message. Friends, you're sitting here today. Those prophets served us. And if you think for a moment that anything in this world is out of control of God, or that somehow this is all falling apart, then you need a bigger picture of God to understand from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He has had a plan. He has been working out that plan from the beginning to the end. And you are here a part of that plan. Nothing is out of his control. First Peter chapter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God told the prophets what to say. He was weaving this message together all to lead up to Jesus Christ. We see the culmination of the work of God throughout the Old Testament. You know, Jesus agreed with this. Think about the road to Emmaus. If you don't know the story, after his resurrection, Jesus appears to some disciples and they don't recognize him. They're just walking along the road and he starts chatting with them. They don't know who he is. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 to 27, it says, He, Jesus, said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Because they were struggling. They're kind of sharing with him, like, Hey, man, do you know what happened in Jerusalem? Like, there's all this stuff going on. And he's like, Yeah, I know. That's my interpretation. 
He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus himself, man, I wish we had the text of this sermon, right? He's walking with these guys and just going all the way back into the Old Testament and tracing all the message of salvation from beginning to end, leading up to the cross and the resurrection. Friends, as an aside, but really it's right in line with what Peter's saying here. This idea that God worked one way in the Old Testament and one way in the New Testament is so completely and utterly wrong. God has always had one plan of salvation. That's why Peter can say these prophets were looking forward to what we are now looking back on. It's all about the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. One story of salvation. If if somewhere along the way, like me, you kind of accepted or bought into this idea, well, people had to work for their salvation in the New Te- or in the Old Testament, but now it's it's by grace and that's wonderful. That's not true. It's always been by grace. It's always been a gift of God. In the Old Testament, the gift was looking forward to Jesus Christ. Now, in the New Testament times, we look back to Jesus Christ. But it's always been about Jesus Christ. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Think what that means for a second. When a prophet spoke, it was the very word of God, right? This was like, not everybody had a copy of Scripture. In fact, really nobody had a copy of Scripture in the Old Testament. It was reserved for maybe a synagogue, but definitely in the tabernacle. And they, they were just precious things. Not everybody could have access to these things. So the prophets would speak to the people the very word of God. And the people had to receive the prophet's words as the very word of God. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not saying put that on me. I'm just me, right? I'm not a prophet. This is the word of God. This is our authority, not me, not you, this. But when those prophets spoke the word of God, God was at work. And look at what he's saying. When you hear the gospel, it's the same message that the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, was giving to the prophets. Every proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the ongoing message of prophecy throughout all of Scripture. How many people say, oh, God can't use me? Well, did he use Isaiah? Yeah. Can you share the gospel with your neighbor? Yeah. Well, there you go. It's the same message. It's the same Holy Spirit. What a powerful truth to understand. And you have to understand, too, and this is such a comfort to me, I don't think Isaiah woke up every day going, well, I'm a prophet. I'm amazing. I bet he woke up every day going, God, why? Why me? Why are you using me? I struggle. I'm imperfect. And God says, no, I've chosen to use you. Friends, God has chosen to use you with the message of the gospel of salvation. And it is part of the ongoing purpose of God established all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In fact, you can go back before creation. God had a plan for salvation through Jesus Christ. And you can step into that role, feeble and frail as we are, 
to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with others. I think sometimes, on the one hand, we think too much of evangelism. Oh, woe is me, I'll I'll mess it up, I'll say something wrong, and somebody's going to go to hell because I say the wrong word. Man, God is bigger than you, okay? He's got this. On the other hand, I think we think too low of evangelism. Well, God will work it out. He'll deal with them. Imagine if Isaiah just got up one day, hey, God, if you want to give them that message, man, you do it because I'm out. I'm just a little too busy right now with my sheep or something. And they wouldn't get the message. Now, I believe in a sovereign God. He will bring his message in many different ways. But he has chosen to work through us. And sometimes I think we miss out on just the incredible privilege of being used by God in other people's lives because we're too afraid. We need to see this grand plan of God's throughout all of history and to understand he's inviting us and saying, come, I want to work through you too. And look at the end of verse 12. It says, even angels long to look into these things. There is a part of us as the church today able to look back on the fulfilled promises fulfilled through Jesus' death and resurrection, the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, that Peter is saying there's some part of that that angels themselves struggle to understand. Why? Because angels aren't God. Angels don't know everything. They're created beings like us. Now, they're different. They're spiritual beings. They're in heaven. The fallen ones are in hell. But they're created beings. And the Bible says angels don't experience salvation. They they can know of the grace of God through the messages and how he deals with us, but they don't experience it like we do. And so there is some aspect that when someone becomes a Christian, the angels are gathering around going, look at that. And I wonder, part of it, you know, when we go to the, uh, the New Testament stories of the birth of Jesus Christ, the angels come and they announce it and they're singing and they're going, this is it. We, we, we see it now. Here it is. It's taking place. And Peter's going, they long to look into these things. Angels long to look into things that if you're a Christian, is a part of your day-to-day life. How cool is that? As a side note, one of the many reasons you shouldn't pray to angels. Pray to God. He knows. He's in control. All of this comes together to help us to understand. When we're suffering, and we might cry out and say, why me? We need to also look at the privileges we have in Jesus Christ and equally say, why me, God? Why have you blessed me in this way? What a privilege we have today. We have the word of God. We have the cross and the resurrection. What a privilege we have. Don't ever lose sight of that in our suffering. Secondly, and much more quickly, a better perspective on suffering. This is not necessarily emphasized in this passage, but it's how the passage fits in its context. The context of all of 1 Peter is suffering for faith, struggling, being condemned or persecuted for faith. In verse 6, Peter writes that they were suffering now for a little while, suffering grief and all kinds of trials. But he also says in verse 9 that they are receiving the end result of their faith, the salvation of their souls. 
And so in this context of people that are struggling and suffering, Peter's reminding them of the promises and the glory of the gospel. And he's saying this needs to inform how you look at your suffering. And friends, as Christians, I I think too often we, we know the gospel. I pray, I hope we know the gospel. But then we kind of move on from the gospel. Well, now we got to figure our world out and fix everything and change the whole world for Jesus Christ. And, we're just, and, and we leave the gospel behind. And Peter's saying, no, no, no. Think about who you are in Christ. Think about the message of salvation that can change other people. All of it is about the gospel. So I see four ways, quickly, that Peter is giving his readers and us a better perspective on suffering. One, and you're not going to like this, expect it. Expect suffering. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, Peter tells his readers, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When he reminds us in First Peter chapter 1, in verse 11, where it talks about the sufferings of the Messiahs and the glories that will follow. He's going to pick up on that theme again and again and say, look, you're suffering now. This is not the end of the story. Glory is coming. So we need to expect the suffering, but keep it in perspective with the glory of our salvation, which is the second thing. In suffering, we need to focus on our salvation. It's it's good, as we looked at in Lamentations, to cry out to the Lord. We're not going to ignore our suffering, but we do need to keep it in perspective with salvation. Peter tells his readers over and over and over again, remember what Christ has done for you. The third thing, good perspective and suffering. We need to serve others. He goes back to the Old Testament, these prophets in these dire circumstances, and he says, They were serving you today. They're looking forward. They didn't know the time that we would be sitting around right now, but they wrote these messages that God gave them. And by doing so, they served us. Now, I have to wonder. I did a little math. We are, this year, as a church, 168 years old. 168 years. That's 10 years before the Civil War. A little group of German immigrants got together to study the Bible and to begin a church that eventually would turn into Anders Street and Ladder Road Baptist, and today we know it as Orchard Community Church. 168 years old. You guys look pretty good. (laughs) You know, we get so caught up in just, how do we get through this? 168 years ago, some people got together around the Word of God. They didn't even know it then, but they were serving us today, too. You know, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, Orchard Community Church might disappear. But the church of Jesus Christ won't. And what we do today matters for future generations. We are serving them in everything that we do and say and how we do it. So in our suffering especially if, as I believe, the culture is going to get more difficult, not less. Let us never lose sight of the fact we need to serve one another now, here, absolutely. 
but also that there's something so much greater than us going on. We are serving the future generations by our faithfulness. Finally, number four, perspective on suffering. Understand the grand plan of God. Well, that's easy, isn't it? Understand the grand plan of God. But Peter is constantly, and Paul does this too, he keeps bringing them back to the Old Testament, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to their writings. He said, look, God knows what he's doing. One of the reasons we struggle in suffering is that for all intents and purposes, so many Christians today are completely biblically illiterate. And so when we look at suffering, we look at it through the lens of our thoughts, our feelings, our logic, instead of the lens of the Scripture of God. The more you dig into Scripture and understand the grand plan from Genesis to Revelation, the better perspective you'll have on the moments or even lengthy times of suffering that you will face today. God's plan has been always and will always be about Jesus Christ. He uses our times of suffering to accomplish his plans, even in us or through us to those around us. And the more we know about his plan, the better perspective we will have on our world, on our lives, and on our struggles and sufferings. Friends, like the recipients of Peter's letter, we are experiencing a change in our culture today. When we suffer for our faith, when the world looks at us and and sometimes they just don't get it, sometimes they just don't understand, sometimes they do understand and they're mad at us because they understand. We get blamed, criticized, ostracized, and even hated at times. And when we cry out, why us, Lord? Can't we go back to the way things were? Why us? Why now? Why do we have to suffer and struggle? Let us remember what the prophets prophesied so long ago was about a time when God was going to send salvation for his people. And we now can look back to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, there it is. We live in the time of that fulfillment. At the same time, they were looking forward to a time when God would give salvation. We also are also looking forward to when Christ will come back. So just as they needed to trust as they looked forward and saying, I don't know exactly how this is going to work out. So we are trusting, God, I know your promise. I don't know when. I do know who. And we do know how to some extent. But we need to trust God with the when. What the Holy Spirit revealed to those prophets about the fulfillment and the salvation through Jesus Christ we get to take part in every time we share the gospel. Every time we remind each other in our struggles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every time we point someone in the world to Jesus Christ through the gospel, we become a part of that plan that God is carrying out throughout history. Do we deserve the struggles? Do we struggle and suffer and say, why me? The answer to the first question is yes, 
We actually deserve this and much, much worse. But do we deserve the salvation? No. Only Christ is worthy. And so we need to understand that the salvation that we have was not because we earned it, because we made ourselves so great, but because God is so great and so powerful that he sent his son to die on the cross. And then our response to salvation, the way that changes us, changes everything about us. And that's what we'll look at next week. If you look at 1 Peter 13, or chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we allow our perspective to get too small. We look at our moment of history, our set of circumstances, and they are overwhelming at times. And it's okay to be honest with that struggle. It's okay, as we looked at last week, to cry out to you and even to ask the question, why? as long as we are trusting that you have that answer, whether or not you give it to us. But we must also do what Peter is saying here. We must hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must remember your grand plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. And continuing on through the church today, as we proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the gospel to this lost and dying world. God, though we do not deserve our salvation, may we be incredibly grateful for the privileged position we have in history to live on this side of the cross to say, I know what I am believing in. I know that you have sent your son to die on the cross to save me from my sins. And as we look forward to the time that he will come back, may we hold on to that hope through our faith May we live for you with everything that we do. In your name we pray, amen.